Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body inclusive non diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome back to this next episode of The Mindful Dietitian. Thank you so much for joining me and I, I do hope you've got a, a glass of um, wine in hand or maybe some tea or some coffee or whatever is uh, perhaps time zone appropriate for you right now. So it's uh, the start of March here in Australia and I'm sure that I'm not alone in feeling like, you know, the world in so many ways is, goodness, it's... um. We're kind of falling off our hinges in, in lots of ways, and I mean that both metaphorically and paradoxically, uh, as there's a lot of fear around, you know, politically, socially, personally, um, and certainly this permeates our, our feelings of well-being and the ways in which we're able to take care of ourselves. So I guess just with this in mind, I just wanted to send out some love and care and compassion to to you, your communities, your families, wherever you are in the world, because things are not feeling great at the moment worldwide and um, you know wherever you are hope you're able to take good care of yourself and, and take care of your communities as we're all navigating this kind of um, cultural shit show I guess you would say it is that is um, you know environmental and, and, and social and political and, and everything that I just mentioned so it's um yeah it's just a really tough time just wanted to let you know I'm thinking of you all um, and that uh, you, you none of us are alone in this so, um, I wanted to introduce you to my wonderful guest, a very good friend of mine, Sarah Peck, who is a, a registered dietitian from Auckland in New Zealand. So, Sarah and I have got to know each other, you know, really well, actually, over the past couple of years. And, um, and Sarah's got a really interesting, not only um, personal story, but also professional story, because she has transitioned um, or is transitioning from, from dietetics into the therapy world. And I, I, I'm sure, you know, a lot of us would relate to to being perhaps nutrition and food and body image therapists rather than perhaps dietitians. And, and certainly that's a lot of how I relate. I don't necessarily name myself in that way, but um, but that's what I relate. There's so much therapeutic benefit that, that we can, uh, you know, enjoy for ourselves as well as work on for the, for the communities and clients that we work with as well. So Sarah's, um, the way Sarah um, narrates her experience is, um, is really fascinating. So in this episode, what you'll hear us talking about is, you know, some of the decisions behind Sarah's transition from dietetics to psychotherapy, the way she experienced burnout and, the, and oh my gosh, we can all, I'm sure, relate to this and, and, and then um, her finding the non-diet community. Um, Sarah also talks about um, finding opportunities to reconnect and disentangle her own experiences and how the dietetic pathway and study, how she sees it could be improved with particular therapeutic elements. 
Sarah and I also talk about why we need to actively seek out feedback from marginalised folks and communities in our work and we, we kind of dive into some what we hope are some helpful examples here. We also discuss how we can ask for feedback respectfully, how we can navigate weight stigma within university content and context as a student, and the indomitable power of the student voice. So I hope you enjoy this conversation um, with myself and, and Sarah uh, as, we, as we talk about everything relevant to, to dietary and therapeutic practice. So I just wanted to introduce you a little bit about Sarah. Um, so absolutely, Sarah is human first, and she, she tells me she also happens to be a weight-inclusive New Zealand registered dietitian training to be a psychotherapist. Sarah lives in Auckland, New Zealand with her family, and um, she her, her kids are half Australian, which is always something thing that um, <laughs> provides a really interesting conversation topic for, for us. Um, so Australia is her second home and she lived here for many years and actually studied, studied dietetics here and had her three daughters here as well. So Sarah has spent her dietetic career so far working in private practice and specialising specifically in eating disorder recovery. She has a keen interest in how chronic health conditions impact relationships with self, body and food in both childhood and adulthood. It's fueled by her own lived experience of chronic health conditions and raising two daughters with celiac disease and the gifts of wisdom shared by her clients. Outside of private practice, Sarah has been passionate about working with organisations that support adolescents and young people with cancer and teacher education around age-appropriate nutrition and health messaging for children. Oh my goodness, that's so incredibly important. So again, I hope you enjoy this conversation, Sarah. Sarah's uh, wisdom reaches right into the the, the wells of, of of time and time and space, and I, I really hope you enjoy this conversation as we um, as we delve into many many different topics around dietetic practice and and just being a human in this world. So I'll see you on the other side, and uh, look forward to staying connected. Well, hello, Sarah, and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So. Uh, some of you may recognise Sarah by name or perhaps by face from uh, maybe some images that were shared from trips or times that we've had together. Uh, so Sarah and I have shared many a fun and educational and, and times <laughs> of growth and learning and hilariousness, uh, over, particularly over the past couple of years during my trips to New Zealand. And we've also had some time together in Hawaii. So... Um, so I was so thrilled that Sarah said yes to join me today. I really appreciate it. So if we go off on a tangent and start talking about random stuff, you'll understand why, because basically that's us in a nutshell. Yeah. Yes. I, I really think we were fast friends. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we became friends quite quickly, which is good. We yeah. did. We kind of fast tracked through the early dating phase <laughs> yeah, yeah we did and then we just go to Hawaii and my husband's like I've never met this person <laughs> <laughs> you're traveling okay. internationally yeah right she's safe she's fine don't worry about it you're right you're traveling on the other side driving on the other side of the road oh, oh yes really good driver on the other side of the road <laughs> well I relied upon you because do you remember those times where I would say to you just remind me to stay on the right. Just <laughs> yeah. remind me to stay on the right. And then I would go around a corner and you'd be like, stay on the right, stay on the, stay right. On the right. And my gentle, calm voice. I don't want to right. scare you, but fear you need to stay on the right. <laughs> <laughs> I really relied on that. It's called car accident yeah. prevention. And 
in international spaces and I really appreciate <laughs> yeah, okay. you for that. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you've had a really interesting uh, journey, I guess, through, you know, your, your professional career. And now, mm-hmm. um, you know, a part of your career has taken a, a bit of a, a tangent, I guess, in a really mm-hmm. super interesting way, because you decided more recently to pursue some further study to be a therapist. Um, so, you know, I think we're both aware that for many dietitians, especially when we meet lots of people who really struggle in their relationships with, with food and, and body, that a lot of dietitians are really um, tempted to go down this path because mm. it seems like it makes sense. So I'm so curious. Um, I'm so curious about kind of the decisions that, that led up to this yeah. and, and how you're finding your study. Yeah. So um, I had quite a few nudges from a number of different, different areas um, <laughs> to go down that path. But uh, for the most part, I think it really was, um, like you say, a natural progression towards making that decision to enter into psychotherapy. Um, this, this does surprise some people, but I can be quite an impulsive person at times. Um, but this was one of those thought processes that, that played out over a few years. And I think part of that was taking into consideration my family, um, and the impact that studying, um, would have on, having on, on them and also on me. So how many balls can I have in the air at once? Um, you know, us mums are constantly analysing that. Um, I also have a chronic health condition myself, so um, my impulsivity can sometimes get me in a little bit of trouble, <laughs> so to be quite considered. Um, but I have learned over time that that impulsivity is actually um, really just a deep trust in my intuition. Mm. So it kind of stuck around for a little while. Um, yeah, so I, I decided to, that I was ready and that it was a good time to go down that track um so although I I do align with um more psychotherapy at the moment because I'm doing more of that than I am dietetics work um I don't regret my training as a dietitian um in any way um I've learned a lot about myself and the well in general a lot about humanity particularly for my clients in the process and I I think in reflecting back, I can't really pinpoint why I entered into dietetics. I don't know if, if you can, but um, I had no real defining moment of mm. what got me there. So um, I think I'd like to think it's quite altruistic. <laughs> I hope that there's a part of that. Yeah. And I think many of us do enter dietetics to, to help people. Um, yeah, but also I want to acknowledge and be really honest that for me, that there, there was a self-serving part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing. So for me, it provided a way I could portray a clear-cut identity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a dietitian, you know, that, that provides a clear-cut identity at that time. And I had my three, my three daughters while I studied. So, you know, when I graduated, I was a dietitian and I was a mum. Yeah, and right. yeah, I think from the outside, I was smashing both of those things pretty, pretty well. I was doing pretty good. <laughs> in, contra- <laughs> in contrast to the felt sense of it, which was what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, but it did. It, it felt really good because that's what it felt like because I was, I was, you know, doing really well on the outside. Yeah. yeah and you're right. It's, it's different on the inside. But yeah, I, I think part of it, 
becoming a dietitian, if I can really reflect back, it's, it's kind of a big coping mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like a, an expensive one, <laughs> time consuming one, but you know, not a waste of, absolutely not a waste. Um, but it was kind of a way I could show up in the world that felt safe for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really needed that at that time. So yeah. Um, and then as you do, you go work with actual humans. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. And I was, um, didn't actually really take that long. And I ended up on a therapist couch <laughs> in crisis. Yeah. And it just felt so awful to be telling people what to do, mm. especially telling them, and helping them to lose weight. And I don't think that's a unique part of my experience. I think that it's pretty reflected in other people's experiences. Um, but the, I think the crisis was also a combination of that intense discomfort that I felt like I was causing harm to others, but also the feeling of being a, an effective dietitian. And that was a really, that was a big threat to my identity. So if I'm not a good dietitian, then who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely didn't want to face up to the fact that I was a dietitian with suboptimal health. Like, what would the world think of that? So that got pushed right back down, as it does, <laughs> for a time being. Just for the time being. Um, for the time being. Um, yeah, so I, I spent some time, a little bit of time running away and finding just different areas of dietetics that kind of felt okay to practice in but I don't think you really escape those similar things they keep popping up in regards to the work when you're working with um you know just other humans and the and the work that we do um yeah so I found non-diet and weight inclusive paradigms in the community including yourself um I liken that to being embraced with a really big comfortable a comforting hug and I love hugs <laughs> and, um, yeah and I think that that was that was really enough for me for a few years um, gave me the space and confidence to figure out figure out what kind of dietitian I wanted to be um, and yeah, you saw probably happened. some similarities in other people and when we were able to recognise our own experiences in others. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we find space for our for yeah. our own shit. <laughs> yeah, our own shit to pull out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, that's exactly what happened. And it was, it was really comforting and it kind of contained me and, and, and provided that safety for me in dietetics. Mm. Um. But I think my reflective practice changed over time. So it changed from what kind of dietitian do I want to be in a room with my clients to what kind of human do I want to be in a room with another human. And it was through that, I mean, that's something that I'm constantly doing and will do for the rest of my life, I think. Um, I really was, I found out I was really disconnected from my own story. And that was kind of getting in the way. Yeah, I was just disconnected from my relationship to my own body. Um, And I suppose my pain, my grief. And yeah, I knew I had to spend some time to reconnect with all of that to be able to really show show up authentically and empathically for my clients. So in a nutshell, I don't don't think we, 
I don't think that means we all have to go down a path of training as a psychotherapist to enhance our work as a dietitian. Um, but for me, that's what felt right. And it, and it stayed with me for a really long time and it, and it feels right for me now still. Mm. Well, what I have got to know about you, which has just been such an enormous privilege is that you t- really do take the time to consider how your own experiences and our own experiences intersect with others in the world. And I really appreciate mm. that about you and the way that you then encourage and invite others to do that in such a, a warm and compassionate way, Sarah. Like I really appreciate that about you. You've got a very unique way of role modeling an authentic sense of showing up whilst also saying, and, you know, and this is a space that's available for all, all of us to, you know, to do some exploration. So I, th- I think that you're absolutely right. It's, it's not like, oh, and everybody has to go down and down that path and study psychotherapy. What, what you're really highlighting here is that finding opportunities which feel like a good fit for all of us, like whether that mm. does mean seeking out some therapy or what, yeah. whether that does mean, you know, having a supervisor it just essentially means Mm. a space doesn't it you know to disentangle ourselves from our own uh, you know the the world in which we have grown up in and still exist in and what that means in terms of the work that we do yeah absolutely and I think it's not just the psychotherapy training that is um enabling that process for me so supervision has been a big one um my own personal therapy you know my relationships out outside of client work um you know there's there's so much that that helps us to enable that process um but I think traditionally I feel like and I and I hope that it's I don't feel like this is intentional and I hope that it's changing and you'd know more about this being being doing work in universities but I feel like we are trained in dietetics to leave ourselves at the door Mm -hmm. um maybe apart from our expertness, like we, they encourage us to sprinkle that shit around as much as you like. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think it really was when I transitioned into a inclusive practice where I learned that it's so relational mm. and that, that there's two people, well, at least two people in the room um, and we can't ignore that. And actually it's, it's often crucial to a client's healing. Mm. Um, yeah and so I think I felt I was able to make and create space for for my clients to show up and you know be witness to their processes processes and their healing but like I said I was still disconnected from my own story and my own processes and I think when that happens it's another surefire way to burn out oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I think that you know if we're not aware of what we're taking on and and not processing that or having a space to do that or even our own processes in the session with our clients then you know we don't even know we're holding it um yeah it's a surefire way (laughs) um you speak from experience here Sarah (laughs) (laughs) which one would you like to know more about (laughs) well where do we start (laughs) yeah so um I mean there's a lot that that I learn that helps me and my dietetic work, mm-hmm. you know, definitely. Um, and I think that it, it helps in my relationships, like I said, outside of 
my life um and you touched on this but it's you know how do I stay firmly connected to my own story and my beliefs my values my pain my grief and um I think really importantly our privilege you know in the context of being with others and their experiences and then the other layer being in the context of systems that elevate some and marginalize others you know and for me that's a really important part and something that gets centered a lot in my psychotherapy training um considering i live and work and study in aotearoa new zealand you know which is a colonized country so that work and um where they intersect is is really important to consider yeah, so you're, you're finding that your psychotherapy training really emphasises kind of intersectional work? Yeah. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And, yeah, and, and we, we are taught to critique through um, those lenses mm-hmm. um, and taught to, um, you know, question the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say to a point <laughs> because yeah. we're still a system, we're still an institution, studying an institution. Um, and it is almost like trying to fit a square peg in this in a round hole, you know, Mm -hmm. um, psychotherapy is a unique, um, study. So it just doesn't necessarily fit within the traditional university setting, but, um, you know, doing the best that they can, I think. Um, and we get to learn in a bicultural space. So, um, everything is through an indigenous lens um which is a real privilege you know and eye-opening and and you know it's a massive learning curve yeah i yeah, mm. i can imagine yeah, actually yes yeah. i i both can imagine and, and can't imagine mm. yeah. yeah yeah so i i'm curious to uh to know a little bit more or understand a little bit more about so if you could translate some of the maybe the subjects or the lenses with which you're learning in psychotherapy if you could uh, translate or, or maybe transplant some of mm. that from there into dietetics courses Ooh. what would you what are the kind of elements the core elements that you would really love to just to pick up and if um say Massey university contacted you and they're like hey sarah <laughs> hey do you want to overhaul this particular unit of our study yeah. and you're like right on yes i'm there like, okay what, what would you do this is the job interview, right? This is the <laughs> job interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think a really important part is reflexivity. Um, and I think that uh, we, I, I learned that along the way. Um, you know, and I learned a lot of that from you, if I'm honest. Um, but through supervision and um, the trainings around non-diet, weight inclusivity, um, eating disorder work, but I don't think it's in traditionally in the in the training of a dietitian at university level. Um, so the the ability to be able to, um, I suppose, take in um, information from the world and from other people, and and say, okay, what impact is that having on me? Um, and and how does that then impact how I relate to my client, mm. you know? And, and, and some theory around that could be really um, helpful. So 
using an example, um, I have noticed through my own work and have done some reading around this, um, you know, if we take attachment theory, so to speak, um, not all, but I notice um, many of my clients display some traits around anxious avoidance attachments and if we're kind of not in touch with our own experience of that and particularly if a client is being avoidant and not intentionally but that's their way that they're reacting to stress or overwhelm we can really take that personally and think mm. it's us that we're avoiding and we might experience some frustration or some resentment towards it especially or if we have our own avoidant which I do, <laughs> traits, you know, we can, yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we can really fracture the relationship with the, with the client. So knowing that actually it's really important in those situations to have consistent, consistently showing up for the client. And it doesn't mean being available 24 hours a day, but consistently they know your boundaries and your limits and knowing that, that you're there And when you're there and when they do show up that, you know, you're not bringing with you any of your own shit, you know. So um, I I don't know whether that's university level dietetics, but um, I think that, you know, just being able to go, it is more than just, you know, it's relational. It's more than just the client and the the dietitian or the therapist but the dietitian um imparting their wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. onto the client and and changing their behaviors that you know it's it's complex um, yeah yeah so that reflexivity massive one um mm-hmm. and i think the other big one is the um having viewing dietetics and I suppose our health models through a critical lens of social justice lens Mm kind of helpful (laughs) just a little bit (laughs) yeah well well, I think even I I think even you know as dietetic students even having the opportunity to critically examine what we name as quote-unquote health right Mm. because there are so many words and phrases that are used so commonly that we make assumptions that we all Mm. agree on this or that there's one definition for what whatever the word is Mm. or whatever the phrase is and that we all share that and we all view it in the same way and the truth is when you park the bus right there and talk about i don't know something as seemingly uh common in meaning as quote-unquote health what you Mm. figure out is that actually it's really complex and and probably that's part of the reason why we don't park the bus while we keep Mm. the bus going and miss all the passengers along the way (laughs) because it is actually complex and I think particularly maybe for uh, dietitians um, Mm. and maybe physiotherapists and other more fixy type professionals Mm -hmm. I don't know what how else to say it um that the model of care in which we in which we learn and in which we we are embedded uh it it can be very discombobulating for us I think if we come Mm. across something that's that that's a bit more complex than what we thought it was it's Mm. like oh no hang on a second 
with Rose. <laughs> yeah, with the rules. With the rules. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because um, for someone who actively reflects on what is health a lot, I um, had one of those discombobulating experiences the other day. Um, or before we <laughs> before we started recording, I was telling you about my broken rib. Um, my sporting accident and I was at the doctor at the at the medical center and the doctor said well apart from your you know your sore rib are you in good health otherwise and I I was like uh, 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 it's a long story <laughs> and it's and it's that you know that I that it's just that's not a it's not an easy thing to define or measure and and one it depends on what day even if you do have a clear definition of your own house that it's dynamic it's not static it doesn't stay so yeah it it was a bit of a weird question but it was only through my own experience of it that I was able to go yeah, remember not to ask that question to anybody. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And do you know what? I'm sitting here, Sarah, thinking, I really hope that you gave the doctor a really long-winded <laughs> psychotherapeutic answer to that. So are you asking me, on what level are you asking, like, are you asking me yesterday or today on a, <laughs> yeah, relational, yeah. on a relational, on a, yeah, like what level? Yeah. <laughs> and the, doc- the doctor's meanwhile, like, backing away slowly, <laughs> yeah. thinking... <laughs> so she's going to ask me how well, how do I feel about that <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah oh goodness yeah but these are the things that you know if uh, these are the things that for, for those of us that are um that that self-identify as, as a health at every size um aligned dietitians and and professionals that this is is part of the work isn't it is is thinking about extending upon you know the the foundations of our learning and finding a a critical lens to re-examine our own experiences and examine our own relationships with the with really the 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 aim or the goal or the vision i guess is a better word of being able to make contributions to the world that that really address equity and address mm. injustice um, yeah. and in ways which I, you know, as you said, you know, I really acknowledge our privilege um, mm. and that uh, for those of us that, that are, you know, quote unquote, just dietitians, not psychotherapists, <laughs> um, you know, that, that we can also remain um, true to the limitations of, of what we are capable and we have capacity to to offer as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think you know it can we can easily be tempted in that. Um, you know, when you first come into the the Hayes paradigm or weight inclusive paradigm, you really want to be shouting from the rooftops mm, that we, mm. that we know stuff about how. <laughs> look, hey, stop, everyone. We know how we can stop harm being done and enhance the health of all the all the people. Um, and yeah, and I and I think so. For an example, um, you know, we I think sometimes we just need to, be, to stop a little bit and be considered. Um, uh, so, an example of this is that uh, so Jess Campbell, who I work with. Um, incredible 
human and um, medical student. Um, so we've been wanting to get off the ground for a while about uh, a Hayes New Zealand organisation because um, we, you know, we firmly believe in the principles and aware of the history of Hayes. Um, and also we feel that, you know, it can align with Māori health models here in New Zealand. Um, but we've almost had to take just a step back um, and assess that if we aren't involving or centering Māori in the development stages of Hayes New Zealand and it, you know, at risk of becoming, I suppose, Eurocentric or a colonised health model organisation, there's a real risk of furthering health inequities between Māori and non-Māori. Um, and I think that needs, we need to acknowledge that when we're putting in anything we do in health, any interventions, it's, okay, what, are, what can go well, but what, is, what are the potential harms? Um, and, we, and, you know, Māori have a rich knowledge of how to enhance health for their communities. Um, so it's kind of like not what can they learn from us, um, but what we can learn from, from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have some really good ind Indigenous researchers here. Um, Dr. Isaac Warbrick, he's doing um, really great mahi in the areas of weight stigma. And, and here's a little shout out <laughs> to try and hope that people come see New Zealand. He is the, one of the keynote speakers alongside Lindo Bacon and Kimberly Dark for the weight stigma conference in June in Aotearoa, so in New Zealand, if anyone wants to come. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll put um, links to it in the notes. Yeah, okay, for cool. sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah, so um, I think, yeah, going back to that, it's just, you know, we know stuff, but we don't know all the stuff, and mm. that actually to be humble in the process and just um, be getting feedback, I suppose, from from different types of people on our work. Yes. Not just the people that reflect back, um, you know, our own identities, our own social locations, I think, you know, can really enhance that work. I really love that. So um, just to clarify, so what you're, uh, what you're saying is, you know, actively seeking out feedback from, from folks who have experienced some marginalization or oppression or that don't necessarily have the same um, privileges as we do they may share some of them but have um, may not experience others um, yep. so thinking um, queer communities um, Maori and Aboriginal communities or, or you know other yep. other um, indigenous communities depending on where you live in the world mm. um, um, people from the fat communities, um, yeah. trans communities, lo lots of lots of mm. um, dis disabled community. Like there's there's so yeah. many different ways that people yeah. show up in the world. Of course, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I think you know sometimes we can get at the risk of perfection can get in the way of yes. doing the work. Um, but yeah, I think uh, getting that feedback and. Um, yeah, I suppose an, an example of that for me that has really, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on this. Um, I was asked to um, do a presentation with two of my colleagues um, for the Dietitians New Zealand annual conference last year. And that was a, um, 
a debate, <laughs> well, <laughs> quote, unquote. A debate. Yeah, um, <laughs> of non-diet versus diet. Like they called it diet. Um, um, and it was a case study. Um, and they presented the case study to us not long before we were to present it. And cause we, I said yes straight away. And, um, the case study was a, was a Māori woman, so a wahine. Um, and I felt really uncomfortable with it, really uncomfortable. And I spent some time figuring out what it was or what that was and the fact that it was three Pākehā non-Māori dietitians um, presenting a case study on a, on a Māori woman and what kind of assumptions and biases that is going to bring. Um, in doing so and um, so that discomfort led me to reaching out for some cultural support around that um, and, I, and I received two very different types of feedback and I can look at both of them now and see actually both of those were equally generous yes so one was um, uh, an indigenous psychotherapist who Maori psychotherapist who um, really gave me a lot of feedback and he helped me to brainstorm what what felt good to me to present and my group and um, how we could reduce the harm of that and um, he spent a lot of time working on that with me mm-hmm. and one was you know feedback that you know we actually were a little bit tired of Maori being um, kind of brought in at the last minute like this is not okay mm-hmm. um and 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 it that you know kind of increased my discomfort but that information that feedback was equally as generous yes if not more so because mm-hmm. <laughs> what that made me do is go okay where else is that showing up in my work you know so um that's kind of an example but yeah it spreads across all the the i suppose the different identities well, yeah. both could also be described, um, you describe them as both very generous. They could both be described as very compassionate too. Mm. Yeah, yes, because, very much so. Because, you know, compassion doesn't come, mm. in, you know, wrapped up in a box with a glittery bow. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, they definitely they definitely were. And both have enhanced my, enhanced my work and my thought process around the work that I do. Mm. Mm. I'm wondering if for you know people listening and um, for our colleagues whether that's such a helpful example which could be extended to things like if we're asked not only to sit on panels at conferences um, Mm. but also things like to contribute to any kind of media uh, Mm. you know whether that's radio or television Mm. or blogs or things like that and perhaps also the way that we show up um, on social media as well mm. and how we can be thoughtful about just really taking our time, mm. you know, taking our time and being patient with ourselves as we inevitably unpack some, some pretty tricky stuff and seeking mm. support around that. Um, and like you were saying, you know, I thought what was so fantastic about what you said is you sought cultural support and, I'm just guessing you were also thoughtful about not kind of exhausting that report um, oh, yeah. support or kind of mm. not not mm. um, not 
making that laborious for laborious, yeah. somebody or whatever yeah. the correct word is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I, I offered to, to pay, um, yeah. you know, financially yeah. reimbursed for, for that time. Um, and yeah, and I think that's, that's a really important point. Um, what you're willing, you know, to offer up to get that, um, support and being okay if they say no, you know, yes. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's okay. You know, yeah, it is really okay. And in kind of looping back to almost how we started the conversation is understanding what comes up for us when we feel rebuffed mm. or when we feel rejected. Yep. <laughs> Maybe that's not what we're used to, right? Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting and how we can uh, find find space to take that to, to, mm. to somewhere else to unpack. Yeah. So rather mm. than uh, rather that, than seeing that in a one-dimensional one space is, you know, again, I know I say this all the time, people must get so sick of it. I'm like, take a decision or <laughs> therapy or yeah. perhaps both as well. Yeah, and I, and I think that's... Um like you say, you were saying about social media is just, um, I think we can be so reactive, but you know, what's reactivity without reflexivity, you know, like I think it's like, okay, well I notice this is my reaction and sitting with it and kind of building the relationship with it and going, okay, well, what I think on social media, we can be really reactive at times and that's okay. I think, you know, we're human and we have, you know, lots of different, different emotions, but, um, you know, there are times where we need to be reflective of that reactivity and, and that our first emotion isn't always the lasting one. Um, yeah. Yes. That's yes. I, I mean, you know, that's, that's such a, a lovely um, statement that we can use for ourselves in those moments mm. as well. You know, when we're picking up on maybe a heightened, um, heightened impulsivity or heightened anxiety mm. or, uh, or re any kinds of reactivity that's around, you know, so the first emotion is not the, is not the lasting one necessarily is such a, yeah. that's such a beautiful, it's actually a, really a self-compassion statement in lots of ways. Yeah, yeah it is. You know, Definitely. that we can find space for it to to uh, recognize our first uh, our first response as being valid but mm. also most likely being um, a function of what we've experienced in the past yeah yeah we all bring our own um, you know within any relationship and any conversation we all bring our own Experiences. Um yeah, no, we all bring our own shit. <laughs> it's, it's like true. yeah, it's like saying, that's not mine. I'm pretty sure that's not mine, but <laughs> this is definitely mine. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Mm. And how tough that can make it sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So speaking of um speaking of social media and one's shit um i was wondering if it would be okay with you if i ran past you a really interesting 
uh, comment that um, or question actually from a student dietitian that was asked today um, on my Instagram would that be okay if I ran this past yeah. you to see what you're mm -hmm. thinking okay yeah. so um, so today I wrote a post really about weight stigma um, it's uh, today is the 24th of February so um, the the post is there on Instagram and I wrote uh, basically uh, myth if people build skills to cope better with weight stigma in healthcare then that's good enough to address harm and then I followed that with truth to address harm the focus needs to be on healthcare being less stigmatizing and my thoughts around that is um, just noticing a real uptick in uh, both research and conversations around weight stigma and it's still being very very centered on kind of resilience mm. like weight stigma resilience and kind of skill mm. building on the individual level and although that has a place for sure um, especially on an everyday seeking healthcare level mm. um, you know I guess I wanted to kind of build a or, or kind of have a bit of a conversation about how that's good and like, unless we're also working at um, broader systems, then we're just going to be kind of, you know, plug it, plugging mm. it, plugging the holes type thing. So and it lets the systems off the hook as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. mm. definitely, mm. yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so uh, a um, a student dietitian asks. This is such a good question. Um, they ask, "What are your thoughts for those of us who are students?" I'm having a really difficult time with my undergraduate dietetics education because of all the weight stigma that is being perpetuated. But it's difficult to challenge the weight-centric framework when doing so often means disagreeing with my professors. I try to gently ask questions when I can, but I feel like my efforts are pretty ineffectual most of the time. And they ask any advice. And so I thought this was just this morning and I was like I'm taking <laughs> this to this podcast <laughs> lucky me I know, lucky you so what are, you, what are your thoughts on that it's a it's a tough one well yeah we're actually just talking about reactions <laughs> and reflexivity um yeah I I can resonate with um uh this person um and um, I suppose being in a in a system or institution and studying when people it's all well and good to say in theory speak up speak up speak up um, but in reality when people are making decisions and and have the power to make decisions about the outcome of your study and your future career um, that that puts you in a really stuck position, you know. Um, and the, and the other side, the other thing that comes up for me is that um, I don't know if this um, person who wrote this um, identifies as a woman. I'm not sure, but from my own experience as a woman, crossing the line between, you know, that going between not enough to too much, you know, that constantly speaking in class and challenging perpetuates that idea that we have that we're too much you know so um it's really it's really difficult to speak up consistently in class about those things um i would say that there is a there is a responsibility if you have a lot of privilege to to like i say gently challenge that as as far as you can um 
but they're not also responsible for the um, lecturer or professor's learning. Mm-hmm. Like that's not their responsibility mm-hmm. to, to hold that. Um, so for me, I think when I'm in that situation, it's, it's really checking in with, what, well, how am I doing right now? And do I have the capacity? So my capacity is what I need to check in with first. Mm. <laughs> um, and then um, be, stay quite grounded and trying to stay quite grounded and centered in what you believe, what your thoughts and feelings and beliefs are, and that that person is going to react however they're going to react, and we yes. can't control that. Um, and also, you know, and that, that they're also coming from a place of, you know, being trained in a biased system and a stigmatizing system and that, you know, where, where they're coming from as well. And so I think, yeah, doing what you can and not letting their reaction kind of unsteady you and, yes. and yeah. That's all I've got. <laughs> no, that is that is absolutely no, that's brilliant because you and I get this question quite a bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, from student dietitians who are like, I feel like I'm just trying to survive my mm. degree in terms of I mean, not only the workload, the workload's huge in dietetics. Um yeah. not only that, but then also you know, for students that have some knowledge of um, weight stigma, have some knowledge Mm. of social justice and how inequity shows up right through our institutions as well as our wider world, that I think it can, that, Mm. that, that knowledge also can unsteady us because, you know, like you and I say all the time, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. And that you do notice that it is embedded in so much of what, we do every day including our study um uh, so i had a couple of ideas which um i might does it feel okay to add those ideas oh absolutely okay so one idea i had is to be alert to any of your teachers or tutors who might be a little bit more on board in terms Mm. of who are, who might be using language, which indicates that they might be a little more on board. So I'll give you one example of this. So if you have a, have a a lecturer, a teacher, tutor, somebody who uses larger bodies, for example, to, to describe rather than saying the O word um, or obesity, just to quote unquote, Mm. um, to be, to be clear. So somebody who uses, uses larger bodies is possibly they're signaling they're signaling Mm. that they have some level of awareness that that is a a a weight inclusive word to describe people in larger bodies you know just in larger bodies um uh, the other signal might be somebody who shows some social consciousness in another area. For example, they might be talking about um, maybe Aboriginal health or Indigenous health, um, or they might be doing um, cultural, you know, talking about cultural appropriation or something like that in terms of maybe food systems, mm-hmm. um, who they might be somebody who is. Uh, quote unquote easier to reach because they already have an existing understanding about how inequity shows up in a different space. Mm. Maybe it's race or maybe it's um, in queer spaces or things like this. And one thing that I've really come to realize over time is that having consciousness in one space does 
does not guarantee consciousness mm. in other spaces. Um, however, what I also have learned is that people who are more willing to learn um, in one space are they more willing to learn in other spaces. So I guess for students, I would say, you know, being alert to maybe people around you who have shown, who are showing some level of consciousness that might be open to conversations. Um, I certainly have had the experience in Melbourne at the universities that student voice can be very powerful. Mm. And um, at one of the universities that only a few years ago had no weight inclusive content at all, thanks to a combination of, of some staff turnover, how else do you say it? <laughs> <laughs> some staff turnover and also um, some student voices. When I was able to connect the student voice with some staff, some mm. friendly staff or some conscious staff, they were actually able to, you know, only, only probably it would now be, I'd say two years on the content has really changed. And so two years feels like, Oh my God, well, that's a master's degree. You know, mm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's both a long time. I understand that if you've missed that, if you've missed that, um, missed out, yeah. yeah, but it's also for me, it really gives hope. It's like, wow, yeah. that was a really powerful combination of voices where, where some students were saying, this is mm. not okay. And staff were able to gradually chip away at some of the content. Um, so I've seen some real, so I have seen some real change and that holding hope for me really is like, oh, it is possible. It is yeah. possible through some dedicated, through some dedicated mm. labour of people who kind of were, were willing to do a bit of work in the background. Um, yeah. I, I, and I think adding on to that, it's important to remember that when we we're studying, and and absolutely, it is a privilege to be able to to study, um, and and there is a there's a hierarchy and power dynamic between lecturer yes. and student. Um, yes. And, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing. So it can be a good thing, can provide safety and security. Um, uh, but we also know that it can work the other <laughs> way around. Um, but I think it's important to remember that as a student, you're also a customer. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. you know, you're paying mm -hmm. for that um service mm -hmm. and so um individually and collectively your voices should be heard because mm -hmm. you know ideally <laughs> um you know you are you're paying you are paying for a service and as a customer you have a right to provide feedback and um you might not always get it but asking for things you know in your learning experience and opportunities um and i think uh, equitable opportunities. So if other universities are providing that, you know, why aren't we getting that? Yes. Mm. Yeah, that, that is, that's incredibly true. And I think that, um, I'm not sure in New Zealand, but in Australia, we have a um, credentialing council here, which very much my understanding is, and it might not be a, a kind of a, a full understanding, but my understanding is that um, university content is very, uh, how do I say stipulated mm. by credentialing council, which yeah. on one hand, I get it, you know, in terms of standardization mm. of, um, of content, especially with, with regards to clinical care, you know, safe and ethical practice is paramount. 
Mm. And, and dietitians like to measure stuff. Yeah. And dietitians like to measure stuff and get it right, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> get it right. It's so funny because the irony is that nutrition is it's not only a super young yeah. science, it's so inexact. Yeah, it's very abstract. <laughs> kind of abstract. Yeah. Exactly. So we're working on so many levels with so many systems and I think that can be decentering yeah. for us. It's like, oh my goodness, once the once the glasses come off, mm. it's like oh yeah this is this can be a lot bigger than we thought yeah yeah you start pulling the thread <laughs> yes and yeah. bye-bye jumper slash yeah. sweater <laughs> slash sweater <laughs> i'm trying to be inclusive sarah <laughs> yeah okay that's for the american <laughs> yeah that's exactly right well see this is the um you know how much i love my american friends and this is what mm. i love about hanging out with you i don't need to adjust my language every two seconds <laughs> no <laughs> well it helps that i am married to an australian so this um, is... i have a, i have a combined um way of speaking i think yeah this it is crosses over. <laughs> although what do you say jandals you say jandals yeah for yeah. thongs thongs yeah slash, slash what is it flip-flops yeah slash or, flip-flops i don't know what they say in the u.s what do they call them in the US? Yeah. flip-flops flip-flops maybe yeah maybe javianas mm. call them by the yeah the dominant brand. probably yeah. Yeah. <laughs> jandals jandals so um, when I went to um, one of my very early uh, lessons in kind of culture, essentially kind of, you know, cultural appropriation of um, or how things become corporatized was when I was um, in my early 20s and I traveled to Brazil, Havianas were massive back then and they cost about 50 cents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then within, I don't know, five years after I had, you know, worked in Canada and returned to Australia and went to my local surf, dive and ski, I was like, 30 bucks? What? I know. And they put a little, yeah. like, diamante on it and they're $50. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, Swarovski, Sarah. Yeah, I get true. <laughs> yes. So um, we... The um, benefit of calling it a jandal is that we can adopt the saying um, of you can't handle the jandal. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I see the point. <laughs> yeah. Which is, when I think about it, it's like a joking way of saying stop being so sensitive. I'm going to stop saying that. <laughs> is it really? Is that what it means? Uh, it's kind of, yeah, kind of like, yeah, you can't handle the jandal. Really? It's, it's probably more on like the sports fields or something like that. Oh, right. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I really love when someone says you're being so sensitive. It just feels so good. And I know. It just feels so, absolutely. <laughs> it just feels like they're really hearing you and really understand <laughs> and not being dismissing at all. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Do you know, um, I know, you know, when you and I were talking about what we might discuss today, <clears throat> this is not where we thought we would go. <laughs> no. But I did warn you. Yes. That. I do have um, experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, yes. You have experience with how our conversations um, mm. go in all kinds of directions. And this is. Stay on the right, face. Stay on the right. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> love it. And, and with that, that has looped us right back <laughs> to, <laughs> right back to the start. Um, 
so so Sarah I know that you have um, a, perhaps a self-confessed intermittent relationship with social media yes yeah yeah so I have a um, uh, a bit of a love love hate relationship with it <laughs> um, and this is kind of where my avoidant traits come out. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's part of self-care, to be honest. Yeah, that is really. True. That is true. Yeah. I think it can be more than one thing. Um, and yeah, so, well, one part of it, I'm not much on it as a, as a dietitian because I am going through a transitional period. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really know where I fit in that, I suppose. Um, and it's also a, I have not a lot of spare time and I can get distracted. <laughs> Taking all those into account, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't have my, um, my business, uh, uh social media handles, um, active at the moment. I am personally on there and I'm, and I am using that um, as a way of learning and just mm-hmm. kind of spending some time being quiet and watching and, and learning. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, and website, where can people find you? Um, well, I'm on um, my private practice is with uh, Jess Campbell and that's bodybalancenutrition.co.nz. Yeah. But I am in the process of maybe um, putting my registration on hold just for a, a year or two and, mm. and not working and just concentrating on this for a bit and picking it back up. So, yeah, watch this space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Mm. Yeah, it's, hard, it's a bit hard to let go of things. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I have, I have no doubt at all. You'll continue to make incredibly generous um, and amazing mm. contributions to the shared space mm. that you'll, yeah. you know, yeah, that, that you'll, that you'll be in, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. As, as a therapist, you'll get people who have complicated relationships with food undoubtedly. And mm. then as a dietitian, you've had people with complicated relationships with, you know, themselves and their bodies and moods and everything so yeah yeah cool no I do love the shared space and I love the community and um yeah it's it's been a big part of me getting to that place and hopefully for the rest of my career as well yeah Mm. that is that is so cool and Mm. I kind of selfishly I'm I'm really hoping that in the future you'll be um you know um you'll be a supervisor (laughs) <laughs> for, for dietitians as well because I mean what an amazing mm. gift yeah I do do some supervision um in the last year um but that will probably go on hold for the next two years and I'll pick it back up yeah but the psychotherapy really does help with that definitely absolutely yeah yeah, yeah definitely Oh, that's so cool. Sarah, thank you so much. You are truly, truly a gift to the world, to us. You know, we're just so appreciative of you and everything um, that you bring. Just, you know, you you know how awesome I think you are. So I just wanted to kind of have you on a podcast so I can share you with other people. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, I feel the same way about you. Oh, thank you. Um, So I really look forward to seeing you um, 
Well, I will see you in person at the um, International Conference of Eating Disorders, which is in June. And um, <clears throat> Sarah and I are actually, <clears throat> we are sharing an apartment with <clears throat> Sumner Brooks from ADRD Pro and Evelyn Triboli mm. of Intuitive Eating, co-author of Intuitive Eating. So, um Looks like pre-dinner drinks are going to be at our place. <laughs> yeah. When you told me that, that was one of those moments where I had reactivity. <laughs> I didn't know right. how to process. Right. <laughs> that first reaction is still the lasting reaction. Oh, there, there uh, we go. There's the exception uh, to that one. Yeah. 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 That so, is very cool. Yes. Um, very cool. We're going to have, yeah. we're going to have a ton mm. of fun. Cool. That'll be yeah. awesome. Mm. Alrighty. Well, I will see you in June. I will speak to you before then. Before and again, then. thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.